Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Here by Scott Luden with Supply Chain Now here at SAPIC's Annual Conference 2023 in gorgeous Cape Town, South Africa. I'm joined by a repeat guest, uh, the wonderful MJ Schumacher with SAPIC's. How are you doing, MJ? I'm good. How are you doing, Scott? It's so good to see you in the flesh. I have to keep touching you because <laughs> I've only seen you on the yeah. screen. <laughs> pinch. <laughs> yeah, pinch. You're a believer, right? <laughs> yes. Well, hey, it is so nice to see you again uh, in person as you as you, you said it. And, and what a great vibe here at SAPIC's 2023, right? We've had uh, already uh, a plethora of outstanding conversations, and this is going to be another one. So, MJ, I want to, but I want to take us back first before we dive into a lot of your thought leadership here and what you're doing. You joined Jenny Froome and I for a wonderful episode on supply chain now, back probably uh, around the height of the pandemic, yes. right? We're all like yeah. locked down, couldn't go anywhere, and couldn't connect like this. That was episode 832 that we released in February 2022, I believe. You shared a ton of good stuff. We, I think, we laughed a lot. I got my 17 pages of notes in. Uh, food, shared, wine. Food, wine, supply chain. <laughs> there you right? go. <laughs> all, all related, all, all linked. <laughs> <laughs> so you also, um, you shared an important message on that episode about how you, were con you had a conviction that supply chain can build a better South Africa, build a better Africa, and even build a better world. And my hunch is, you still believe that. Absolutely. So tell us why. Yeah. Well, you know, when, if we think back at COVID and, and when the supply chains actually broke down and had to change, everyone suddenly realized, how am I going to get what I normally get? Because without a supply chain, they're not going to get it. So it's so, so important that we as a world and not just as South Africa work together to see how can we do it better and how important it is. Since that time, supply chain has been on the agenda. Before that, people didn't even know what right. it was about. Right. If you say, I work in supply chain, they go, what does that mean? Do you work with like links of a chain or what is that? And now everyone knows what it is. Right. And everyone's interested to make it work. And I think that's what has driven that, that change. And, that, that, that. and you can see I'm still passionate about it by the way I speak about it, is that without supply chain, nothing will get done. We need it. I'm with you. Oh, we are... Uh to, to, uh, we might be second cousins, who knows? But we're, we're, we're very kindred. In a pod. <laughs> Lots of kindred spirits there, right? Yeah. Lots of kindred spirits. Yeah. So let's talk about um, some things you're doing about acting on this conviction, this passion. You've been serving on the board for SAPIX yes. for uh, over four years now. Mm -hmm. I think the last two as president of the organization. So that is outstanding. So for the handful of folks out there that may not know, uh, tell us, a little bit in a nutshell, what does SAPIX do? So SAPIX is a community-based organization. So what we strive for is actually reaching out to the community. So you become a member of SAPIX and we strive to ensure that supply chain professionals are, get uh, exposed to education, that they're elevated and empowered. Because when a person's not empowered, they cannot 
elevate themselves in their career. So we will coordinate. If they say, I want to learn something, we'll explain. We even help them to say, what is the best course that you can take to move forward in your career? We arrange visits to warehousing, to factories. We did one recently here in Cape Town where we make our own lithium batteries for solar. Okay. And uh, we show them that this exists. And these, these companies also say, wow, thank you for showing the people how that supply chain works. So we are completely based to, and, and, and our, our target is to help the supply chain community. And, and I think it's a, it's a very honorable thing that we do. Um, and I love doing it because I just think that, you know, when you become part of a community, things happen. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So let's, let's talk more about that, uh, how you love what you do. What is one of your favorite aspects of your role as president of SAPEX? Besides talking to you? Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take that. I love talking to I think for me, because I've got over 30 years of experience, um, it's such a pleasure in, in an environment like this, or even when we talk to potential students that want to learn things, that I can share what I did, and that's fun. You know? And to actually say to them, this is, this is a fun, fun career. You know, uh, you have your finger in every pie of the organization. And that's the part I really enjoy. Not so much jumping on stage, but that's part of it. Um, but really spreading that passion. All right, so it's a great segue. You, you talked about all of your experience, 30 years of experience, moving mountains across the Indian supply chain. Uh, a ton of expertise there. Let's talk about, uh, and, and you lead your own consultancy now that's as great. well, right? So as we found out in this last interview, MJ, you love... The planners. Yes. You love the planners. And, and I'm with you. I think that is a, a under-recognized, under underappreciated role, and it's so critical to everything that Global Supply Chain does. Mm -hmm. So what is one thing about the planning profession that you wish more business leaders would know and appreciate? So first of all, one thing is it's difficult to stick to, but I'll try. So I'll start by saying it's better to be partially right than completely wrong. And that's what planners have to deal with. So planners work very closely to sales and marketing and they need input from all those different departments. And when I talk to supply chain leaders about the planner, they say, oh, why didn't they get it right? I say, well, don't look at them. Look at how your organization is run. What kind of input did they get? And appreciate that they got, they got it partially right because you did make your sales. But they are also the gatekeepers. And the planning profession is hard. You've got to have a tough skin to be a planner because it's always your fault. But if supply chain leaders can teach the organization that it's not the planner who's responsible for the forecast, it's sales and marketing are also responsible for the forecast. And you all need to work together to find out what are we going to sell and let's make it happen. I love that. Uh, I love how the conversation needs to be holistic with, with uh, everyone from, from every, any functional area. Let's come together because that's how, the, or, to your point, that's how the organization operates. And, and the best laid plans usually you can tie back to how holistic the conversation, exactly. the planning conversation why is. Why did things right? happen? Right. You know, did you tell me about that promotion you were going to? Ooh, I forgot. Well, then how, that's why I don't have any stock, you know. Right. Uh, and let's, let's carry the risk together because there's always a risk. You yes. don't know if that promotion is going to, to bring anything for the business, but let's carry the risk together. And, you know, what's old is new again. A timeless value Communication, communication, mm -hmm. communication, Please. communication, right? Yes, absolutely. Whether you're in planning or you're uh, part of that process, part of those conversations, or trying to, trying to address other aspects of, the, of your global supply chain or enterprise, communication. Just Timeless. tell us. Just, Just tell us. <laughs> Why is that so hard? 
Why is that so hard? <laughs> yeah. they talk about a Maybe we're scary. Question. I don't know. Maybe don't they're know. scared of us. They shouldn't be. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, uh, I want to kind of look back while looking forward at the same time here. So yeah. during the pandemic, you were chosen to lead a noble, noble mission uh, to ensure critical me medicine made it to certain parts of South Africa, mm -hmm. right? Um, as you look backwards and forwards, what is one or two of the most important lessons that global supply chain must learn from and act on from the pandemic? Number one, act quickly. I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, a lot of things wouldn't be happening now. So we all say, yeah, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And the pandemic came and everyone had to like, get together and make a plan. And that's what happened in that uh, um, delivering the medicine directly to the patients because they weren't allowed to go to the clinics. They made a plan. We partnered with the private sector and we said, help us get that stuff to those patients. Those are chronic patients. So I think COVID has, I always say COVID had a silver lining. Uh, there's obviously some sad sides of it as well, but it's actually taught us as a world that if we really put our, our mind to it and make an effort, things can happen very quickly. Right. We can make things happen. So why are we waiting? What, 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 what are we waiting for? Uh, so definitely that. And I think also the, the fact that people had to stay at home, the human side of it, and a lot of things came out, mental health. Right. Mental health was always ignored or I'm not going to tell anyone because I'm embarrassed because I'm depressed. There's nothing wrong with being depressed. Right. It means that something's not right and you need help. And I think that is a, a, a very, very, very um, priceless part of the pandemic. Agreed. Is that we've actually brought that to the surface to say it's actually kind of normal and, and reach out and get help. So yeah. there's a humane side and then there's, of course, the technical side, like just get on with it. Yes. So on the humane side and the human factor, I want to uh, piggyback on that for a second because uh, whether it's mental health or other aspects of your workforce well-being, mm -hmm. I think the, the greater appreciation and uh, visibility and attention we paid to the, the health, safety, and welfare of our workforce, that's something that's got to stick around for the remainder of the future, Absolutely. right? No, yeah, um, I think it's always underestimated, right? And I think when people start to have to work from home, they actually realize the pressure of their spouses as well. How do they work in the same house? How do they talk in the, in the same uh, uh, teleconference at the same time? Right. You know, so I think there's many, many things that we had to learn as yes. a human race, and it was good. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Okay, speaking of things that are good, uh, we're early on in the Pigs conference here, right? Um, so what, thus far, what is some of the best stuff, most inspiring conversations or moments that you've been a part of thus far? Okay, well, there's, there were two keynote speakers that we had just now. Uh, the first one was about artificial intelligence, and it was very much focused on the health uh, stream of, of, of supply chain. And it was very encouraging to hear that, although you have to be careful with chat GPT, there's some dark right. sides of that as well. Uh, don't get them to write the laws for you. But they are making use of that to get to the patient faster and to understand what the patient needs. Because often the goods get there and it's a very difficult process to get the, the medication exactly where you want and you find out you have the wrong one. Mm. So how do you make use of that artificial intelligence to make sure you're serving the patient as you should be serving them? The other keynote was about the private sector and the government working together. So. I don't know how much you know about the, the infrastructure in South Africa, but the yeah. rails are failing, the roads are failing, a lot of corruption, dog days, uh, uh, economy's not doing well. And it's also a global problem, right? We're not the sure. only ones. 
And this was a, a, we actually had someone here from the government. He's head of PMO and he's in the, he actually reports indirectly to, to our president. And they have set up this committee and everyone always says, oh, lots of committees, nothing's going to happen. But they actually showed up here and they actually okay. said, we are going to work together and within the next year, this and this and this is going to happen. Within the next one to three years, this and this is going to happen. And it makes you feel passionate about this country, that we, we can fix this country, we can fix the infrastructure, we can get it right. And one of the questions I asked them was, how are you going to govern that this happens, that it's mm. executed? You know what it's like, supply chain. Mm. Everyone has great ideas, but no one executes. I'm with you. So they have a plan. So they, are, they have promised to come back next year and they have a roadmap which is all in ICU and uh, 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 in recovery. So they made like a graph with all okay. different colors and all of it's red. So you know what red means, right? So they called Not it good. the ICU and they <laughs> promised to come back yes. next conference, which is in a year's time and say, it's gonna be green. So I'm gonna hold them to that. There's, that, man, that is really, it's atypical, unfortunately, of, yeah. of how governments around the world can operate at times and of course, here in, uh, in the U.S., we can also relate to uh, infrastructure that needs to be overhauled and, re and renovated because it's, it, it, certain components of it has been ignored for so long. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't help any, anyone in global supply chain, right? We depend on the infrastructure to make things happen. We need it. We have to. Got to have it. We need to get onto the rails in this country. We have one of the biggest rail networks in the world, mm. and we're not using it. Mm. And we need to be a sustainable nation, right? We have to look at our Mother Earth and say, how are we going to help you? Why are all the trucks on the road? Mm. So many of them empty. We gotta, that's nothing we got to do something about. But hey, we'll save that for another episode. Sure. Um, all right. So I love, you know, one thing I want to appreciate uh, you and Safe Picks, and of course, Jenny Froome. You know, for a couple of years now, we have led our um, supply chain leadership across Africa series. It's been fascinating. Mm. I'm not sure how many episodes we're up to now, maybe three dozen or so, 2020, 25, 20, 30, something like that. But it's been fascinating as we have really shared uh, the brilliance that you find here across the continent of Africa, mm -hmm. all the different countries and the people and the, the supply chain ecosystem. And I appreciate your uh, partnership with that. And, and for that matter, what SAPIX does to help connect ideas and people, governments, public sector, private sector, and going back to what you shared, helping folks succeed mm -hmm. individually, organizationally, no matter. So that is certainly a noble mission. So how can folks connect with you, MJ, and SAPEX? So with SAPEX, it's our website is www.sapex.org. Uh, then if you go in there, you can see everything you have to know about. And, you'll, and if you look under, under the board, you'll see my pretty little face. So you can go <laughs> check that out too. Um, and for me, LinkedIn is the best place to go. So MJ Schumacher, not Schumacher like Michael, but Schumacher. Uh, or if you search along MJ, I don't think there's too many MJs. I actually haven't checked that out. I should just yeah, make sure. I, I, yeah, yeah. Other no. than Michael Jordan. There you, you know, go. But he is size 16 feet. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that the other day. <laughs> That's crazy. So yeah, through LinkedIn would be the best. Uh, otherwise, just through the Sapix website, I'm there. Uh, we have a great team that can, can, can reach out. So I think really, you know, think about, you know, in closing, this is a fantastic continent. You know that in Europe and in other continents, there are a lot of elderly people mm. and then there's less young people. In the African continent, it's the opposite. Mm. So we have a lot of young people, educated young people, that are just dying to get on with 
learning and working and and, and changing, changing. World, yeah. Right? yeah yeah so Africa is here and we're here to stay and we're going to succeed yeah I agree with you well hey we've been chatting with MJ Schumacher uh, president of the board with SAPEX thanks so much for what you do your leadership uh, both with SAPEX and out in industry thank you MJ and thank you for your time Scott you good bet. to see you good to see you as well in like, person like in person <laughs> <laughs> we got to continue these conversations. As MJ shared, you got to take action. Deeds, not words. Stay tuned for our coverage of SAPIX 2023. Hey everybody, Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now. I'm here at SAPIX Annual Conference 2023 in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. I'm joined by Alistair Taylor with NetStock. Alistair, how are you doing? Very well. Great Very well. You. Fantastic to be in Cape Town. I've already enjoyed, uh, I feel like we go way back. I've enjoyed a couple of conversations. He's given us some snapshots of things he's done, some interviews, big TV, big things in the industry. Alistair, you, you can write a book, huh? I could do, but no one would read it. So I'd use my <laughs> local dialect and they wouldn't be able to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> We're going to revisit that because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that for a second. But I want to get down to uh, some, some things in the industry. You know, you've been, you spent over 20 years in the industry doing big things, especially when it comes to technology, right? Um, that requires, doing technology right, requires, uh, requires lots of effective, detailed communication, especially these technology solutions. So what is one piece of advice you'd give our listeners out there when it comes to effective communication in the easier times or in, in the more technical situations? I think the, the big thing for me is actually listening. So there's, there's two parts of that conversation, right? There's the supplier's conversation and there's the, um, the customer's part conversation. And for me, on the supplier side, I speak as a supplier, right, is you have to learn to listen. So one of the biggest things I have to work with my teams within technology over my whole time is effective listening. So right. being able to ask a question, listen to the answer, clarify the question so what does that actually mean so often you know you have to say say back in your own terminology what the person's just said right. so you've got a real understanding and you've both got that and once you've developed that uh, listening capacity and been able to show that you've understood that's when you can start looking at how you solve the problem because until you really understand the, the problem people share the top layer and the right. top layer you've got to then start to dig down through those layers because everything we do today is complex. Yes. Nothing straightforward, nothing's as easy out of the box. You actually have to dig through that. So that's from the supplier side. A little side story, if I Please, may. Yeah. So I used to do um, some pre-marriage counseling. My wife and I used to do pre-marriage okay. counseling. And when we used to do communication, so one of the big things in marriage is communication, sure, right? Absolutely. And one of the things we did was how to have a communication about a difficult topic. Mm. And that was, we, we did it with a, with a cushion. Okay. And if you had the cushion, that person could speak, right? And then the cushion was held by that person. And the yes. other person then had to say back what that person had said in their own language to show they'd understood. And then once they'd understood and the person had spoken and said, yep, you've understood, you could then pass the, the cushion across. Okay. So I think that's really important, having a bit of structure around listening and empathy and understanding. Mm. I love that, I love that. And uh, going back to the middle of your response about willing to listen, mm. right? I think that, that simple lesson, if more business leaders, more teams would embrace that, and it would lead to so much more effective communication and we get to the root of what we're trying to do rather than acting on what everybody thinks yeah. we're trying to do, right? 
Um, so I want to I want to keep going down this theme. You know, you have um, done a lot and been a part of a lot of teams when it comes to selection and implementation processes with technology and technology and technology. That's the air we live in, right? But but of course, with that, the human factor, which is one of my favorite things to talk about, right? right? That's how we do technology, right? So when it comes to that critical selection and then the implementation process that follows, what's a couple of best practices that you wish, in all of your experience, more business leaders would embrace? Well, I think it, it's down to two elements, okay? So it's the, it's the vendor and the, and the customer's right. side of this. So you're gonna answer from both yeah, perspectives? Yeah, I'm gonna from both perspectives. I think the, the first one from um, the customer perspective is to be frank, open, and completely honest about the situation. Yep. And too often, you know, I've done so many tenders and RFPs where there's a list of functionality that you have to have. It's almost not do that, okay? <laughs> is to say, this is my current state. This is reality in my business. I need to go on a journey where my new reality is this mm -hmm. and be open about it and be open about what happens in the middle because yep. often businesses come with a preconceived idea of what they need to do. Sure. Right? From a vendor's perspective, it's about listening and questioning. Yep. Ask a question, listen to the answer. Mm -hmm. Clarify that you've understood the question, then add a deeper level of mm -hmm. questioning. Because you, what you need to do is, you need to go through all the different layers of the problem. So who, you know, questions that we ask regularly is, okay, that's the problem. How big is that problem? Mm -hmm. Who does that problem affect? what's the knock-on in the business, and then what's the cost of that? And yes. what is the value to the business to actually fix that problem? Um, and I think those are the two areas for me that would be the, the main areas that I would, I would look at. Love that, especially going back on the vendor side. Um, man, taking surface level answers can be really dangerous and it can really help us not get to where we're needing to yeah, go, right? Exactly. Um, all right, so I wanna keep driving here. So we're here, again, we're at SAPIX 2023, man outstanding conversations, love the vibe. Um, so you're gonna be giving a keynote later this week, maybe uh, later today or tomorrow. Um, and it involves AI and inventory management and a lot of opportunities there. So can you give us a sneak peek for folks you know, around the world that can't join Alistair here at SAPIX, what's a couple of key takeaways you wanna leave with the audience? Well, I think that the first thing to look at is evolution. Okay. okay. Right now, I think we're at a stage where we're about to see a great leap forward in technology. So we've seen them throughout history, yeah. right? Everything from the wheel, the abacus, the computer, the mobile phone, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I'm, I'm English, I'm history, right? So we, you've got this evolution and in um, technology, we've got the same. And I think the AI is the next evolution. We've had the internet, we've had mobile applications, those sorts of things. So I think we're about to have another one of those leaps, but it's actually making that leap useful rather than just being a technology. So if you were here, you know, we had a, um, if you were here three, four, five years ago, people would have been talking about blockchain, right? Blockchain, nobody's really implemented it, mm. right? It's there, it's a technology, it has its uses, and it was gonna be the next big thing. But has it been implemented? Mm. No. Mm. So the big thing with AI is, how do we make it useful to drive everyday business right across the business and improve people's lives? Right? That, that's, you know, you go to work, how do we make people work easier yes. and more um, interactive for them and direct them rather than they having to go and find out what they need to do today? Yeah. That's the key for me, I think, with AI is usability of tools. Yes. 
I love that. Uh, improving lives, of course, improving results for customers, but improving the lives of our team, right? Yeah. Making things easier. There's, there's so much pressure uh, on folks really across a global workforce, supply chain to be included, pressure, burnout. So I love stories where technology can make their days easier and more successful. Yeah. Um, all right, so looking forward to your keynote. Uh, I want to talk, so you're, you serve as Vice President Sales for EMEA with uh, our friends at NetStock, which we've enjoyed some previous conversations with, like, like this one here. Yeah. Um, your company launched a new product, which is powered by AI, uh, called the Opportunity Engine. So tell us, what's the so what there? What's, what's, okay. what's gonna be the value that the Opportunity Engine provides? So let's, let's see you're a planner or a forecaster inside the business. Yep. So you're, you're somebody in charge of inventory for a business. Sure. Okay. Today, you go into the business, you open up your dashboard, you have to go and find your problems. Mm. Where am I gonna get the most bang for my buck today for my time, okay? That's where we are today. You've gotta to go look. You've got all these lovely dashboards and we've got a lovely dashboard as well as everybody else, right? Um, and we've just released a new one for executives. So you've okay. got a, a, you know, the, the worker bees and then you've got an executive dashboard as well. They're great, but it doesn't tell you what you need to do to improve the situation. Now, with our new tool, you go to work in the morning, you answer your emails, you have your cup of coffee, you sit down, you open up the opportunity engine and you say, what are my big five things today? Okay. So instead of you having to direct what you do, sure. you can ask the AI, where is the biggest bang for my buck today? So I've got to fix five things today. What are those five things? If I've got, a, I've got five alarms going to be ringing in the next three days. Right. What are those going to be? How do I do that? Love that. And, and that's what it's about. Like I said earlier in that earlier uh, question that you had, it's about making that person's day easier. And it's about de-risking. Right? It's about getting the most productivity you can out of your teams, but it's also about de-risking your lives as a business. I love that. I love the, uh, the time that it saves, um, the focus it can provide. Um, so the opportunity engine from our friends at NetStock uh, and of course, I bet you'll be, I bet you'll be talking a little bit about that uh, this week, huh? That would be a wise, shrewd <laughs> observation. Observation, sir. Yes, exactly. All right, Alistair, I love, I love your perspective and your sense of humor. And I tell you, uh, if we've said it once, we've said it a million times, it's that sense of humor that we've all had to maintain to get through the last few years. It's so important. Um, all right, so let's talk about, I know we're early on in the conference here at SAPEX, but what's been one of your favorite moments, your most inspiring things you've heard? You know, what, what's really you, uh, eureka moment you've had or, or taken in that you said, man, I sure am glad I'm here. I think it's been a couple of things. So first of all is actually being face to face with people. Right? So the world is opening up again. We can get to these shows where we couldn't for a long time. Um, and I think that's really, really key. Looking somebody in the eye when you're having a conversation mm -hmm. with them rather than looking at their their eyes on Zoom, or well, they've gone off Zoom and they're suddenly just a blank page with a right. name at the bottom because they're switched off and they've gone to make coffee, um, is always interesting. So I think being face to face, I think the AI, I'm gonna say the AI sure. conversation that we yeah. had this morning, the round table was fantastic. It looked at really what is AI, what is not, should we be panicking about it, should we not be panicking about it? But also the realization that we're in an evolving business. Right, so supply chain is evolving and it's evolving faster than most of us saw five years ago. Yeah, sure. We've got more problems, we've got bigger issues, so we now need to evolve as professionals to actually meet those challenges. And technology goes so far, but we've also got to make sure that people follow along with us. Yeah. They're my two big takeaways. Alistair, I love that. Uh, our previous guest, uh, MJ Schumacher with Sapix, 
she was referencing a study of about 4,300 executives, and one of the chief findings was simple, evolve or die, yep. right? Uh, and that's, that's the challenges we have as leaders and as practitioners. We've got to lean into it and, um, and change, and change industry for the better. And that's one of the things it seems like you are helping with. So how can folks, so Alistair, whether folks want to talk football, uh, whether folks want to talk AI, or whether they want to talk leadership and, and technology and some of the things you've shared here today, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> you miss beer off as well. I miss beer. Uh, okay, how like can I miss beer? Well. Yeah. How, uh, how can folks connect with you, Alistair so, Taylor? Obviously, the website's www.netstock.co. Um, find us on LinkedIn. Yep. We're all over, all over LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're probably the, the two quickest ways to, to get in touch with us. It's just that easy. Yeah. Outstanding. Why make things difficult? No kidding. I'm with you. All right, so <laughs> Alistair, we're going to have to go catch a game and a, and, a, and a beer here in a minute. But Alistair Taylor with NetStock, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I love Alistair's mix of expertise and technology and been there, done it, along with some humor, right? we got to lean on our sense of humor to get through these times. But, hey, whatever you do, hey, take something he said, put it in action. It's about deeds, not words. Uh, with that said, stay tuned as we continue our coverage of SAPIC's annual conference here at Supply Chain Now. Hey everybody, Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now here at SAPIC's annual conference 2023 in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. I'm joined by a friend of the show. Deborah Dahl. Deborah, how you doing? So great. How are you? No, wonderful. It's been a, it's been a while. A year, in fact, uh, I'm meeting some folks for the first time here in person, IRL, right? But you and I met on an earlier episode, and you've been on a few here at Supply Chain now, right? I have. I love coming back. It was actually, I was just telling Scott, my very first podcast ever in person, yeah. pre-pandemic. Uh, and it was really lovely. And since then, thank you so much for having me back a couple of times. Well, you bet. We admire what you do out in the industry, make changing things for the better. That's, it's tough, but it doesn't mean we can't lean in and make it happen. So That's right. we're going to be talking a lot about that, that here today. So I want to start with, we're both referencing some previous conversations and some of the big themes that came out of those conversations. One has been a lot of your work uh, really across the continent of Africa, right, uh, for years now. Um, and so I, I want to ask you, you know, when you think about all of your work, Coming up to this point, of course, you've been at SAPIC's conference. I've been a, a volunteer leader with the organization for quite some time, so I've been at a lot of SAPIC's events. But when you think of the global supply chain ecosystem across Africa, what's one of your favorite components? And what's, what's one thing that more business leaders out there across the globe should know? Absolutely. Look, from a people perspective, maybe even taking off our work hats, the more I travel, the more I really believe that people are super kind mm. everywhere in the world. And I think uh, often daily life is just so much more normal than sometimes we see on the news. I think sometimes we tend to fantasticalize, if that's a word. I think that's a word. It is today. I'm going with it. Um, but in reality, you know, life is more or less the same everywhere, which I actually think is a pretty lovely thing to witness. Uh, and then that can, in some ways, translate to supply chain, and in some ways, of course, it doesn't. Um, something that's striking me, especially today, being back in person in mm -hmm. SAPIX for the first time in a couple years now, is uh, supply chain can be a shared language. And one of my favorite things is to drop into a country someplace else that I've never been to before, and all of a sudden we find our people and we can talk our shared language mm -hmm. and we can get on to solving problems. Now, the caveat, of course, is it 
can be a shared language if we use our shared language. That's, of course, the SCORE model. And since we're here at SafePix, I'll give a nice plug to the new SCORE model. It is now free for the first time, so really recommend folks to go and check that out. Uh, and if we can all put on our standards hat when we come together, then it allows us to solve problems a lot more quickly. And if you are a fan of solving tough problems, then uh, African markets ha have a different context, of course. Mm. Supply chain problems are supply chain problems, but the context and the constraints are a bit different. Uh, so it's a lovely place to come, and as we look to solve a lot of the problems that do connect our countries and our markets and our supply chains, uh, we've got to solve them together. That's right. And we must. We must lean into that challenge, that immense challenge. I want to go back to the first part of your answer, though, because I love that your entire response, but people are people, and when you lean in, you start peeling layers back, and you get past all the assumptions and a lot of, a lot of the nonsense you hear out there in the news, and this, that, and the other, people are kind. And, you know, in our travels here, I was also reminded of that same thing. And, you know, it doesn't matter. You find yourself on a plane, and, and some folks are from here, some folks are from there, but we all eat lunch and drink yeah, water and exactly. you know, need, need our luggage <laughs> different places. And that bond that I think brings travelers together uh, is, is certainly a um, simple things in life can also be the most beautiful. So I, I love the first part. I love your answer, but I, uh, that's a good re-encouraging thing to, uh, to understand, right? So let's, uh, speaking of good news, you're giving a keynote later today, right? Um, and you know, we're going to be publishing this episode long after SAPIX, but for folks that are going to miss it, what's the main theme and what's one key takeaway that folks are going to be running and ready, running through walls as they leave your keynote here today? Well, I hope that's the case. I, uh, I know that will be the case, Deborah. <laughs> I have been invited to join a wonderful session from JSI, uh, and they're talking about the climate impacts of the global health supply chains, um, which is a, a phenomenal topic to cover. My co-presenter, Edward, will talk a lot about the health supply chain pieces, and I will be talking about the climate pieces through carbon. So the one key takeaway is that it's possible to operationalize carbon data. It's really hard. Uh, probably you and your organization are focusing on scope three right now if you're out in supply chain someplace. Um, and that really focuses on two key questions. One, what are the activities in our supply chains that cause emissions. Mm -hmm. So we're going to explore that. Spoiler alert, it comes down to three. Okay. Uh, energy use, that's in your warehouses, in your factories, or uh, anywhere that you will turn a light on or use a machine. That's the biggest one. The next is materials, how materials are extracted and, and transformed for us to use. That's a close second. Yeah. And then fuel, which is actually a bit lower than folks realize. Fuel for supply chain vehicles is around 6% uh, of global mm -hmm. emissions. Uh, and that tucks under a category of, of energy production, which is 75%. So as we start imagining how we can make a big difference, of course, this is why the focus on renewable energy transition is so high. So that's the first half that uh, I'll be covering. The second is uh, how do we measure this? So speaking of standards and coming up with a shared language, um, we can talk in billion tons, we can talk in tons and kilos, et cetera. Right. But until we really operationalize this into the systems that we already use today to plan, to move, to make, mm -hmm. uh, I think this there's going to be a disconnect between supply chain professionals, those who have a lot of work to do to reduce this, um, and the carbon data that we need to make these decisions. So something that I'm working on in my day job is how to incorporate carbon data alongside what we already are doing. 
Uh, and there's two interesting ways to look at this. One I call an emissions per unit. Okay. So just like we would have a cost per unit. Uh, so how can we estimate this? So almost like a living bill of materials or cogs, but a little bit more dynamic than what we do today so mm -hmm. that we can start to understand the operational reality of one warehouse versus a different factory versus uh, if a load was very heavy and there was rain that day, we can start to learn a little bit more about how to become more efficient. Mm -hmm. The second one, which I think is a really interesting comparison across companies, is uh, an emissions intensity. So if we were to compare okay. annual emissions for a company to their annual revenue, okay. we can start to get in emissions per revenue dollar. That's an interesting one, actually, to see who's similar and who's not so similar. Uh, and then I translate that into what does that mean? So if we're talking about a kilo uh, of emissions per revenue dollar, that's uh, the equivalent of maybe having a bottle of wine. We're here in South Africa, I love South African wine, and that's about a kilo-ish, more or less, uh, of emissions. Or if we're talking about uh, 50 grams, which is another couple examples I'll be giving, uh, that's like eating an apple, boiling a quart of water, uh, sending an email that takes you 10 minutes to write, you send it to 100 people, it's about 50 grams. And it's, you know, we're throwing these numbers out, it really doesn't probably mean much uh, because we haven't developed what some people call a carbon intuition. So just yep. like we can guess the cogs, we can guess calories in our meals, but we really can't guess mm. emissions. But this is a muscle we need to build. So as we operationalize this data, even if we don't use it for decision making just yet, but somehow we can help to build this muscle among supply chain decision makers and planners and scenario planners and maybe in an SNOP process, uh, then we build this confidence in yeah. this muscle that we're going to need in uh, months and years to come. Um, I love that. And, and, and you shared a lot there, but I want to focus in on, you know, the wine. Uh, <laughs> because when you speak in, in, in plain terms like that, I think anyone can grasp it. Wines, apples, you name it. Uh, and then the other thing, you mentioned calories. You know, the consumer was in the dark for so much of food history, right? Because the, that label didn't exist on all packaging. And then once, once the powers that be made that happen, you know, we were able to be much more informed and, and for some of us, uh, me some days, some days not so much, we can, you know, better or make better decisions, right? Well, you're equating that, which I love, to the emissions, right? So the more vis visibility, the more emissions data, emissions per unit, emissions intensity, all these different ways that we can measure, we can make hopefully better decisions, right? And empower our teams, supply chain uh, teams, and otherwise for that matter, to make better decisions when you move stuff, make stuff, or what have you, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And look, the data is not where it needs to get yet, but we know the way to make data better is to use the data. Right. It's a bit of a catch-22, of course. We don't want to make bad decisions on bad data, but I think if we can align the data quality with um, time horizons, so for mm. example, I would be comfortable using the data to facilitate longer term discussions as part, again, of an IBP process or SNOP or maybe right. a quarterly strategy meeting. And then over time, that data will improve. And I think this is a time that machine learning can really sit on our side of the table and help to solve this problem with us. And then we start to be able to support shorter and shorter time horizons. So mm -hmm. we can start um, looking out a month, a week, a day, and ideally start incorporating this into um, day-to-day, moment-to-moment operations as we start to be able to optimize in real time with this idea of a self-driving supply chain, which yes. we're just starting to get uh, some initial proof points on. Yeah, do more, do faster, and you blink, 
or maybe a blink a few times and it becomes just part of how we do business, right? Um, I love that, lots of parallels there. So let's move into, let's talk circular supply chains, one of your other passions I know that you're doing big things in. Um, so for a few folks out there, um, two, two things here. Kind of, def if you can, just in a nutshell, define what you mean when you talk about circular supply chains and I'm a big good news advocate and fan. What's some encouraging developments you're seeing out there? Absolutely. Uh, so circular supply chains are something I found as part of a failed job uh, interview <laughs> process. So I have to thank that organization that I will not name right. uh, for introducing me to it. So I've been studying this space for five-ish years now. And the idea, a lot of people confuse circular supply chains with recycling, but there's a pretty big gap. So the idea with uh, circularity in general is instead of taking items from the planet, we take them from other supply chains and we circulate materials through our economies. And through that, we can reduce disruption and increase uh, margins. And what that means for supply chain then is that we need to not source raw materials, we need to source finished goods first. Mm -hmm. So this is a really a repair first strategy. Uh, we wanna take that item, drop it into the shortest network we possibly can. So if we can keep it on site, that's the best option. Right. Our supply chains have gotten super, super long, which has served us pretty well through the 1900s. And now we find ourselves pretty disruptable. So how do we keep our networks short, uh, closer to point of use, closer to the customer? I think partnerships are a great way to do that. And then the third is we wanna do as little to that item as we can to put it back into a value stream. Right. So even if we're doing a repair, we're gonna need probably spare parts. We might need some lubricants or packaging, whatever. Um, and those items need to also come from a circular perspective. So if we think about um, two different business models, one that might be a clothing repair service. I used to, be a customer of many of these until it occurred to me that living in Seattle and getting a piece of clothing, one mm. single piece shipped to me by two day air from New York, and then I would ship it back via air, and then they would clean it probably not with a green based cleaning right, solution, right. but that's not really a circular operation. It would look like a, a circular model, a business model on the front sharing model, but circular operations underneath um, start to become a challenge in that model. Similarly, we can start talking about um, electronics supply chain, maybe a phone, right. and we wanna be able to sell a phone as new um, that looks a little bit more like a linear model, but we can support that with a circular model. We can go and harvest parts, we can use more green inputs, uh, and so we have decisions in supply chain that are actually decoupled from the organizations that we support, which I think is really important for us to start to look at. Sure. So generally speaking, um, source a, a, a finished good, do as little to it as we can. That's a circular supply chain. So. So, and if I can add one more thing. Yes, yes. Because the circular supply chain network, right? I love, I visited your site, uh, which is a nonprofit in a startup incubator up in Seattle, right? right? Yep. And what I love, the example y'all use is the light bulb industry from back in the, um, the old age, right? 1900s. And yeah. some of the decisions that were made then and the ramifications of them. So y'all check that out. Um, and one other thing before you continue and share some good news, encouraging developments is you mentioned <clears throat> the, the role that consumers play. And if there's anything that I hope any of our listeners, our viewers out there across uh, the supply chain now, Global Fam, has taken in is, man, that's, our, that's one of my mantras. Consume, we all play a big part. You know, Greg has a famous uh, quote, consumers are the start and the ending of, of, of supply chain, whether they like it or not. We have a challenge when we can play a good, um, healthy role in what happens 
or we can make things worse. And that the example you talked about, uh, very similar examples with just because you can get stuff in a day or two days or same day in some cases, doesn't mean it's good that you do, you know? And, and really ask yourself, do you really need X, Y, Z in less than two hours, right? Plan a little bit more. You know, if consumers really lean into that challenge, it'll be, it'll, it should make things a little bit easier for us to drive the change that needs to take place. Would you agree? I do, to an extent. and okay. oh, you already know my extent. face. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you read that one. <laughs> uh, you know, I think we've put a lot of pressure on consumers. Um, I hear the sentiment a lot. I don't disagree with it. I do think the decisions we make are really important as consumers. I think the decisions we make as supply chain professionals are far more impactful. Mm -hmm. And so if we can take what we're trying to practice at home, which we're all trying to do the right things, um, and translate that into the industrial space, whatever type of supply chain you work in, the decisions we make make a huge, huge impact. Mm. Um, so the, the principles are the same. Try to use less, use from a green source, try to figure out how to reduce your waste, do something else with it, fine. But apply that now in a supply chain perspective. And the big number is over 90% of emissions come from supply chains. Mm. Not that, there is a good, huge chunk that are produced by municipalities, so I don't right. want to diminish the role <laughs> of municipalities. Um, but it's important for us to understand the power that we have, and I don't think that that's a message taught in school. I don't think it's something we talk about at professional associations. I don't think it's a message we share at conferences, and maybe we're just too practical. Yeah. <laughs> and we say, well, can you measure that? And <laughs> sure. um, what am I optimizing for? But I think it's important that we understand the power that we have in this um, in this industry, in this profession we've chosen. So Agreed. I'll do a yes and on yeah. that one. And, and those supply chains are gonna do whatever we enable them to do, make the choices to do, right? And, and there's tons of opportunity there, as you're pointing out. And along those lines, so let's get to some encouraging, right? Because uh, there's plenty of work to be done. Plenty of, a lot more have left to be done. But what are some encouraging signs when it comes to circular supply chain? Absolutely. I'll share one story from my day job and one story from what I call my night job. Okay. <laughs> uh, so by day, I lead a sustainable supply chain practice at Genpact. And I have been super encouraged to see the breadth and strength of our after sales team okay. and the demand from the marketplace in something I didn't expect. So what's really cool, I'm saying this with a nerdy cool smile on my face, even though it's highly disruptive to the people in these organizations, is that the forward supply chains have become so disrupted and it's hard to get the components we need to keep our forward supply chains running, that some supply chains are starting to pull back assets from the market, harvest the components they need, and put those into new builds, mm -hmm. thus starting a circular supply chain. So how do we bring an asset back, source a raw material, uh, sorry, source a finished good, not a raw material, uh, harvest what we can, do, the best, do as little as we can to it, and then put it back into the marketplace. And so getting to the nitty gritty policies, contracts, rules, border crossings, what we put on uh, border documents, how do we manage the KPIs, how do you find partners to do this, does it need to always be in-source, can we possibly train local partners to do this work? Those are the questions really I'm excited about and I think is really good news, even if it's a highly disrupted catalyst sure. that we're doing it for, but uh, really excited about that work. And then in my night job, yeah. running this uh, nonprofit, you've mentioned the Circular Supply Chain Network, we're part of the Interweave program at Sustainable Seattle, um, which is our fiscal sponsor. We have recently started a partnership with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And the good news here okay. is I have been pleading 
with those in the circular economy community for the last four or five years to really take a look at supply chain operations and the role that we play in the transition to a circular economy. And so with this partnership begins a very serious dialogue across the Ellen MacArthur Foundation member network. And we have been able to facilitate a few conversations across their network to understand the work that's already happening today. What is our shared language? So mm. as supply chains try to go out and work with their suppliers and their partners and their customers to create these ecosystems, how can they be all saying the same thing, yep. kind of cut to the chase? And what's really exciting is that there's so much work already happening. I find that supply chain professionals sometimes don't know that it's called circularity. And that's okay, we don't need to call it or label it something, right. but it is nice to be aware so that we can share those best practices with each other and really start to build supply chains that are more resilient, that are costing us less. Um, if we don't start from scratch every time, we can go faster and be cheaper. In theory, there are some market <laughs> failures we're dealing with, yes. <laughs> but uh, the movement is, is further ahead than I anticipated. So I've been really encouraged by the commitment of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, I've been really impressed with We've got about 15 team members in the Circular Supply Chain Network all working on this um, in their spare time. So everybody has a day job and this is an, an area we're all very, very passionate about, but we're all located around the world and okay. we're working together. And I'm very encouraged by the amount of work that's already happening in these big, big brands. Big, so big they're, brands. they're really dedicated. Big, big work, big, big outcomes. You know what? So as I piece this thing together, based on, uh, as we kind of come down a home stretch, you know, we all share these obstacles and problems on the front end of what you were talking about. We're all people and there's a lot, you know, blessed be the ties that bind, right? So shared obstacles as we try to create a shared language so that we can share the knowledge and best practices and all that leads to shared change and shared good outcomes for all. Is that? Uh, you nailed it. Uh, okay. It's just that easy, right? It's just that easy. <laughs> well, and then of course the work to make it happen is where the rubber meets the road. Um, all right. So let's talk about um, the SAPIX conference. I know we're early on, um, but if you think of the keynotes you've been a part of so far, if you think of the sidebar conversations, which are some of my favorite at any, any event like this, or the sit downs, or any moment in between, cup of coffee, you name it. Uh, nice South African wine. We've enjoyed yes. a little bit of that so far. Um, what's one of your favorite moments, inspiring moments so far at SAPIX 2023? All right, here it is. So, context to this is about eight years ago, I joined the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation yeah. and started learning the international development space and uh, met you know, organizations that give money called donors, normally big country governments, US, UK, et cetera. Then there is uh, implementing partners who take that money and do work. And then there's of course the governments in the countries where this funding is going and trying to get all of that coordinated as you can imagine, is a huge challenge, trying sure. to line up election cycles across however many countries and funding cycles and approval cycles. Uh, and it can be a real impediment to getting work done. So when I joined this space, there were a number of conferences that were just for international development and global health. And then there's, of course, SAPIX right. uh, and other supply chain conferences of supply chain professionals. Uh, and I wished for a world where the two could come together that um, the markets and the private sector and the knowledge base uh, here could then help all the countries here sure. to make some progress. And so happy to see this year, there's a, a very robust global health track. And um, there's some real thought leaders in the space uh, opening the entire conference with an opening session with Ian Barton. 
um, and I attended a breakout session led by Maeve Magner, who has been in the space for a really long time about coordination among not only donors, but also all the other partners in the ecosystem. She called out a lot of the just honest okay. truths she about- She kept it real, huh? She did, and I was really, really, really encouraged to hear that and to see what's happened in these last couple of years. So for me, that was a bright spot to see all these different worlds coming together and SAPIX being the place uh, to allow those conversations to happen. Yeah, uh, that's a great story, and I, I appreciate the context behind it because I think a lot of folks, um, I think the global health industry and some of the challenges there um, that reside there, that isn't a blind spot for so many of us, whether you're in supply chain or outside of supply chain. And that's come out in some of these conversations here, as well as some of our, um, you know, we've been partnering with Jenny and, and the SafePix uh, organization for a while, you know, covering more conversations, uh, you know, taking the thought leadership and the challenges unique and common, you know, from across the continent of Africa and, and, and trying to amplify that. You've been a part of some of those conversations. So uh, I appreciate that call out, and it is nice to see worlds come together, right? Especially when there's so much that's gotta be done uh, to keep uh, anyone from being left behind. So, um, okay, so let's make sure, Deborah, folks know how to connect with you. Daytime, nighttime, all points <laughs> in between. How can folks connect with you? Uh, easiest way is on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active, and I am not aware of another Deborah Dole on LinkedIn, <laughs> but if you find her, let me know and we'll be friends. Uh, but looking forward to any comments on carbon, on circularity, on how supply chains transition, communities of practice, how we work across industries. Um, it's an area I'm really passionate about, so uh, happy to receive your messages, your thoughts, comments, and maybe even some partnership on any of these topics. Outstanding. Uh, well, hey, make sure you connect with Deborah. Check out those organizations, especially the uh, Circular Supply Chain Network. That is a uh, really interesting uh, uh, initiative and, and nonprofit you're leading. Um, all right, so going back, daytime, nighttime. What is that song I'm trying to think of by Ray Charles? It was sung, I think, on an earlier version of a, of a sitcom, but that's right when I said that. I'm like, you know what? We're going to have a nice music backtrack to this. But, Deborah, a pleasure to see you here. Appreciate what you do out in the industry and what you're, you're doing here. And, uh, folks, connect with Deborah Dole. Deborah, pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. You bet. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. That was a truckload of information highly actionable information at that. Uh, make sure you connect with Deborah. Uh, but most importantly, what we've been talking about all of, you know, all these chats, all these episodes, you name it, is you take an idea and run with it. Act, take action, right? There's so much there. Uh, but beyond it all, make sure you check out Supply Chain Now wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, on behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to get forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.